Uh, please join me in prayer. Our Lord and God, as we come before your holy and inerrant word, we confess that it is of no use to us apart from the working of your Holy Spirit. By nature, our, our eyes are dim, our hearts are hard, we resist walking in your ways and submitting totally and fulfill, uh, fully to all that you've called us to do. So please, would you help us this morning both to understand and to live according to your word for the glory of Jesus Christ by your Holy Spirit. We pray in your name. Amen. So this morning as we come to Matthew chapter 13 verses 34 and 35, I want to take just a moment to uh, kind of remind us of where we've come. We've gone through a few parables so far, four of them. The parable of the sower, the parable of the wheat and the tares. We've considered the parable of the, of the leaven uh, and the parable of the mustard seed. And each of these is teaching us something about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But, but as it does so, teaching us about the reign of Christ, I think one of the things that's bringing to our attention is the sovereignty of God over His kingdom and indeed over the whole earth. He has sovereignty over entrance into His kingdom. He can tell us that only one seed out of four, uh, four types of soil will bear fruit. Why is this? Because this is His sovereign determination. He is faithful to prune His garden that through spiritual warfare and persecution and temptation, he removes, as it were, from the fellowship, uh, the false sons, the dead branches. He is sovereign over the distinction between the righteous and the wicked from all eternity. God has known those who were his. He has divided between the sons of righteousness whom he himself plants in the earth. And the sons of wickedness, the sons of the devil, he is sovereign over the growth of his kingdom. He causes it to grow. And in fact, Jesus in these last parables has told us to anticipate an unending growth of his kingdom. Indeed, until it reaches the whole earth, it will leaven the whole lump of flour. And this morning, I believe that Matthew's intent is to encourage us to encourage us by reminding us that Jesus' parables demonstrate his prophetic ministry and they reveal eternal secrets. Jesus speaks in parables because they reveal, they demonstrate his prophetic ministry and they reveal eternal secrets. Now you and I, if somebody came to us and said, look, I want to disclose to you some secret information that has been hidden since the foundation of the earth, we might pay money for that. I want to hear it. I want to know what you have to say. Well, Jesus, through these parables, tells us that He's revealing to us secrets that have not been known since all eternity. Now, notice something about Matthew chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Um, there's a little bit of a change here because Jesus is not speaking in this moment. Matthew is sort of interrupting the flow of the narrative and he says, okay, let's take a break. I want to show you something. So this is an editorial comment from Matthew. Notice what he says. Um, All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. 
Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. He's drawing your attention to this. And so I think one of the things we're going to reflect on is, well, well, why would Matthew come in at this moment to make this comment? Something to wrestle with. But he does. And so it concludes, what's happening here is, is it is concluding Jesus' interaction with the crowds. And after this, after this point, Jesus will only interact with his disciples from this point onward in Matthew chapter 13. And so it's a transition point. But we also see he is reiterating to us in this editorial comment that at least here, Jesus only taught the crowds in parables. Now, we, we talked about that a little bit before because remember the disciples came to him uh, earlier and they said, Jesus, why, why do you teach this way? Why are you talking to them about a sower? And we remember that these parables do two things. They, they conceal the truth from those who are dead-hearted and they reveal truth to those who have been made alive by the Spirit. Remember that. The parables contain truth, but they didn't explain it fully. And so they illustrate, in a way, God's judgment against Israel. How does it illustrate God's judgment against Israel? It's as though God, Jesus is putting this, this truth before them. It is sort of shrouded in this, this husk. Think of a pecan. And he puts it there on the table for them and it illustrates their deadness of heart because no one will pick it up and crack it and see the truth that is within it. They're, they're satisfied just to say, oh, what a lovely pecan. They never consume it. They never take it in. But parables reveal truth to the living. Those in whom the Spirit as, is at work, what do they become? They become seekers of truth. You're like a bloodhound. You are reading the, the word of the Lord on a daily basis, on a regular basis. And why are you devoting yourself to God's word? Because you want to know the truth. Your whole, the beat of your heart is to surrender yourself, body and soul, to the Lord Jesus Christ in love to Him, in worship to Him, in full obedience to Him, so you become a bloodhound for the truth. Why? Because the Spirit lives in you, and it is the work of the Spirit to exalt the Son. You're not content to live with experiential wisdom. You want the wisdom that comes from above. And so what do you do? You pick up the pecan. You crack it. And you eat the meat within. That's what the parables do. The work of the Spirit is to ignite a new hunger within you. A hunger for the Word of God. So that there is an internal longing to know God's Word so that we might live in obedience to it. As with Christ, so with us. We desire the Word more than we desire bread. Because the Word is life. So we'll notice just a couple of points this morning. First, that the parables demonstrated Christ's prophetic ministry. And secondly, 
that the word reveals, I'm sorry, the parables reveal eternal secrets. Notice with me, first of all, the parables demonstrate Christ's prophetic ministry. Matthew's adding some information here. It's as though he, think, think of Matthew as, as maybe sitting down with his candle lit beside him and he's, he's writing down, maybe he's journaled things as he's walked along and has observed the ministry of Christ. And he's writing some things down and he comes to this moment, maybe, and he thinks about this parable of the leaven and how Jesus said eventually it's going to leaven the whole thing. And he's saying to himself, after Christ has risen from the dead and he's ascended up into heaven and some maybe three decades have gone by and he's thinking, well, how is this going to come to pass? And he makes this comment at this point to show that the parables demonstrate Christ's prophetic ministry. Now, as we think about this then, remember that Jesus' ministry relates to the Word in two ways. And the first thing that Matthew shows us is that everything points to Him. Did you know that? As you study any civilization in world history, did you know that everything that is happening is leading up to the incarnation of Jesus Christ? From the erection of, of pyramids to the fall of the kingdom of Babylon and Assyria and the Medes and the Persians, all of this is leading up to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That he would come as the great prophet of the Lord, the Word incarnate, the one who discloses the very nature of God to the people of God. He's a prophet. All the major fathers of the faith looked forward to him. We're told that Abraham looked forward to the days of Christ and he rejoiced. He bought a, a place to bury his wife and family, looking forward to the resurrection. Moses looked forward to the days of Christ, prophesying over the people of Israel and repeated in 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. David, we are told in Acts chapter 2, was given a glimpse of the resurrected glory of Jesus Christ. Remember Peter's sermon at Pentecost? What he said is that David was able to see and prophesy that Christ would come and ascend up into glory. That's Acts chapter 2. All the major fathers of the faith looked to Christ. And what Matthew shows us this morning is that Jesus' teaching in these parables then comes alongside all of the thrust, the scope of the Old Testament, and it fulfills prophecy. But notice what he says, verse 35. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. So we might say, well, here's another reason that Jesus spoke in parables because he is doing what the word said he would do. Remember that Christ in all of his life lived obediently to the word of God and now understanding his role as the mediator between God and man, as the one who discloses the way of salvation, he walks in faithfulness with the word. And here, in Matthew 13, 35, Matthew quotes from Psalm 78. Let me ask you to turn over with me to Psalm 78. 
just for a minute, minute here. Psalm 78, verse 1. Psalm 78 is, a, is a, a song that was written by a man named Asaph to be sung by God's covenant people doing two things, reflecting on their past and looking forward to the future. So notice, first of all, in Psalm 78, this is a masculine of Asaph. Now, Asaph was, uh, he lived when he was a contemporary with David. He was a musician. He is listed in 1 Chronicles 6 as among the men whom David put in charge of the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark rested there. So you can maybe picture him as, as, uh, as one of the men who would take some of David's psalms, and he even wrote some of his own, we see, and he would set them to music, and the people of God would sing them in worship when they came into the house of the Lord on the Lord's day. He was a musician. He was a descendant of Levi. This is why he could serve in the tabernacle at all, because he was a Levite and was qualified then to give that service. He is listed among the players on musical instruments. The Lord had gifted him in this way. This was, uh, as it were, a spiritual gift given to Asaph to, to play instruments, especially, it seems, bronze cymbals. 1 Chronicles 15, 19. He had a special role, Asaph did. He's described in 1 Chronicles 16 as among those who walked before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Especially in 2 Chronicles 29, he is described as a seer. One who, to whom God had given the special gift of seeing, of having a glimpse, even if dimly, into what would come to pass and, listen, to declare that to the people of God. This is how Matthew describes him in chapter 13, verse 34. He is a prophet. One who was authorized by Christ to speak on his behalf to the people of God. When Jesus then taught in parables, he was fulfilling Asaph's prophetic words from Psalm 70. Think of this. All those years before, the Spirit had inspired Asaph with this hope in the coming Messiah who would open the word to the people of God. Even if Asaph didn't fully understand what he was talking about. So read with me again Psalm 78, just a bit here. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Does that sound like what we've heard Jesus in his earthly ministry saying to the people of God? Listen. Isn't that what we heard him say in the parable of the sower? He who has ears must here, listen to me. Incline yourself to my words. Give yourself to them. Verse 2, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Now, a parable, looking back into the Old Testament, 
uh, Ezekiel actually uh, can be translated, it's a riddle. It is, it is a saying that you have to apply yourself to. Uh, my father, I think one of the first riddles that he said to me was, if a, if a rooster lays an egg on the peak of a gable, which side will it roll off of? And so we're always guessing, and they finally say, well, roosters don't lay eggs. Some of the sayings of Scripture you have to apply yourself to. You, you work at it to bring out the fruit of it. In Psalm 78, what is the, the dark thing that Asaph brings out? Well, he says in verses 1 through 4, I will teach the glorious deeds of the Lord to the next generation. In verses 5 through 8, he says, It is God's will for one generation to teach the next that they should set their hope in God and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. And in verses 9 through 72, the bulk of this psalm, you know what it's talking about? It gives examples of rebellion, examples of judgment, and examples of the Lord's compassion. Do you see how that's congruent with some of the things that Jesus has taught us so far? What has He said about His generation the generation that he's ministering to? Has he had kind words, encouraging words to say about them? Guys, you're doing such a great job. You're not like those previous generations. You're doing great. No. He's described them as the brood of serpents. You're snake children. You're sons of the devil. You're faithless. Woe to you. Sodom and Gomorrah will rise up and judge you. The Queen of Sheba will rise up and judge you. Because if they'd have had the things that you have, if they'd have seen the things that you see, they'd have repented a long time ago. And you persist. You are a wicked generation. In chapter 11 of Matthew, verses 7 to 10, they rejected Elijah, John the Baptist. In chapter 11, verses 20 to 24, they will not repent. In chapter 12, verses 3 and 5, they've forgotten His Word. You don't even know it. Have you read Exodus, He says? In chapter 12, verse 24, they confused the Son of Man with Satan Himself. In chapter 12, verse 34, He described them as evil children of the devil. And in chapter 12, verses 41 and 42, He said that they would be condemned in the judgment. Now, Psalm 78 teaches us how the faithfulness of each generation is dependent upon the faithfulness of the subsequent generation, the generation, the previous generation. And Jesus seems to be saying the same thing. The apple has not fallen far from the tree. But these parables remind us of Jesus' prophetic ministry. What? with this congruence between Psalm 78 and the time in which Jesus lived and the woes that he's pronouncing upon the people, why would Matthew step in here and say, this is to fulfill the words of the prophet? Why would that be important? Why would it be important for you to see that this very moment and the nature, the manner of Christ's ministry fulfills Old Testament prophecy. Why is that important to a believer who wakes up on a Monday morning, doesn't want to go to work, is reading the Drudge Report and says, oh, things are so bad. Why is it important? Because I think like us, the church of the first century may have wondered, 
can the parable of the leaven really be true? Can, can it really be true given all the circumstances around us and the wickedness of our culture? Can it really be true that the leaven of Christ's kingdom will eventually fill the entire earth? Can that be true? So maybe Matthew is stepping in here to say, remember this. If he can tell you what's going to happen in Christ's ministry and define even the way that he will come and, and, um, and preach the word to, to his people, if he can give you that level of detail in the ministry of Christ, don't you think that he can tell you what's coming after you? Matthew shows us the future can be because he's already shown himself faithful through Christ's ministry. And, and here in his prophetic ministry, Christ is calling on the next generation then to be more faithful than the one before. Apply yourself to my word. He himself is the one who is anointed by God to proclaim the word of God to his people. I was just talking with someone yesterday about the hope that we have for our children, and I think it's a singular hope. I hope that my children walk more faithfully with Christ than I do. Isn't that what we pray for? Some of us, have, we've matured in the faith. We can look back on our past and we can say, this is where I started and this is where I am by the grace of God. And I pray that the, my children and my grandchildren, they don't have to start way back there where I started, but they can start where I am now and move forward in faithfulness to Christ, in love to Christ, in devotion to Him. And this is what Jesus, in His prophetic ministry, is calling us to do, to be faithful. Secondly, the parables, they not only demonstrate Christ's prophetic ministry, but they reveal eternal secrets. They reveal eternal secrets. Turn back to Matthew 13 now. And notice just this latter part of the statement from Psalm 78. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Now, but we mentioned that there, that there are two ways that Jesus relates to the Word. And one of those is we remember that everything that came before pointed to Him. Abraham and Moses and David would be forgotten relics of an ancient past if it were not for the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives them significance. He gives their words significance because they are speaking of Him. And so the second way that Jesus' ministry relates to the Word is He explains all that came before. He explains all that came before, fully revealing God's eternal plan of salvation. Now, if we think back to Psalm 78, remember what Asaph said. He said, I am going to utter the dark sayings from of old, the, the dark sayings 
from of old, things that we've heard and known that our fathers have told us, and, and maybe you've sort of, you've let them, you've swished them around in your mouth, you've gargled with them, but you haven't quite understood fully what they mean. Well, Christ now comes along to show you what they mean, because He is their sum and their substance. Jesus is a prophet who reveals or brings to light things that have been hidden. Now, does this mean that, that God hasn't given, given knowledge to his people in the past? The answer is no. Through redemptive history, God has revealed what he wanted when he wanted. But he did not reveal his entire plan of redemption all at once. Through Christ and the apostles, he has completed his revelation now so that scripture is a perfect compendium of all we need to know for faith and life. No further revelation is needed. What Jesus revealed, think about this now, what Christ revealed in his teaching was set down in eternity past. He's not bringing to light a new plan. He is declaring to us the plan of God from eternity past. It's not a response to a mistake. Indeed, it is what he has always decreed. His earthly ministry then was not to reveal things God determined just beforehand, not to fix something, not to say, you guys left a bolt off here, I need to put it back on. This is his eternal plan. Christ is the sum and substance of all of world history. And he's saying to us, he will be the sum and substance of all that is to come. Because all things are working together to bring his kingdom to its fullness. Christ revealed the final aspects of God's eternal plan for his people. It's as though Jesus came to reach up and raise the wick to bring more light to his people. Remember, the people in Galilee have seen a great light and they rejoice. So the parables, they are, they, they, they do hide, they do conceal truth from the hard-hearted, but Jesus shows us that they are revelatory of God's plan if we apply ourselves to them. Jesus in the parables of the sower and the parable of the wheat and the tares, he's given an interpretive key. How to read them. How to understand what he has revealed. And his will for them then, his apostles and for you and for me, is to study the parables and bring out their truth. To get out your hammer, as it were, and crack that pecan shell to apply yourself to it, to pray for illumination, to ask that you might understand because these are the secrets of Christ's kingdom on these pages. What a privilege. And what ultimately conceals truth from the non-believer is his spiritual deadness. What reveals truth to the believer is the activity of the Holy Spirit who creates desire and gives understanding. So I was thinking about this passage. I was reminded of a statement from Martin Luther, and I'll just give you a quotation here about studying the Word. He says, firstly, you should know 
that the Holy Scriptures constitute a book which turns the wisdom of all other books into foolishness. Because not one teaches about eternal life except this one alone. Therefore, you should straightway despair of your reasoning and understanding. Let go of what you perceive by nature, he's saying. Kneel down in your little room and pray to God with real humility and earnestness that he, through his dear son, may give you his Holy Spirit who will enlighten you, enlighten you, lead you, and give you understanding. You see what he's saying? An individual Christian should do. Get your Bibles out. Open its pages. Pray and ask the Lord to give you understanding and then apply yourself. Don't be satisfied to open your Bible and read your daily portion from McShane or whatever it may be and go away saying, I don't know what that means. When you read your Bible, you say, I don't understand. What is that a signal to you to do? Get on your knees and pray and ask Him for illumination. Read again and pray until you don't be satisfied until you've gone away from that rock and it is flowing with the water of eternal life to you. Don't be like the crowds who said, oh, that sounds like a good story. What's for lunch? Jesus' parables demonstrated his prophetic ministry and revealed eternal secrets. I want you to think about something. We, we are tempted to despair, are we not? But I want you to consider what a privileged time you live in. You don't live in a time of shadows and types. You live in an age in which you have the full revelation of Jesus Christ. That, that you, now, because of the work of men through the dark ages, can sit down in your room with the whole copy of God's Word in multiple translations. Pick the one that you like the most. And you can read it. Because men shed their blood for that. We have the whole Scriptures to direct us in faithful communion with God through Christ. But we, we must also heed the warnings of Christ. He expects us to study His Word, as we're going to see in a future parable, to take effort with it, not to leave it gathering dust on our shelves, or to be satisfied reading and going away confused. Led by His Spirit, He gives us grace to understand. And to apply that we might honor our King in all things and lead others to do the same. Amen. Let's pray. Great and merciful Father, we thank you that you sent your Son not, not only to be a Redeemer, but also to be a Revealer. We thank You that He reveals uh, You to us perfectly, without error, infallibly. And so we ask, O oh Lord, that now the Word that You've caused to be written down, we would take to ourselves, we would feast upon it like a great banquet that You've set for us. And would You give us Your Spirit that we might digest this Word, that it might not cause us to have 
acid reflux in our spirit. But that we would take it in, it would nourish our soul, and we would be strengthened to live for your glory. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.